0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This year I look forward to speaking to you on several occasions about the importance of the ceremonies that we observe during this time of year. We always take the time to talk about these things in detail at Adult Theology, However, I know that all of you are not able to attend adult theology all the time, and this year especially we'll be speaking to you in great detail about the importance of these ancient ceremonies, the most ancient on the Church calendar during this time of year. And as we'll soon be able to tell you in greater detail, we will be observing them this year with even greater solemnity than has been done in recent years. But in preparation for that, we have what is, at the beginning of Lent, a sort of deprivation of the things we are accustomed to. We have far less, it seems, solemnity in the ceremonies which we observe starting today. What is noticed by everyone is that we no longer have the organ or other instrumental music at mass. What music we do have is primarily plain chant, Gregorian chant, and the chants which we hear are considerably longer than usual. Although what we hear today, what we will hear at the high mass, is very beautiful chant indeed it is the entire 90th psalm which we have just recited now as the tract for the mass and this is to be for us a great exhortation to hope and trust in God during these days it is nevertheless a sort of penance that we have been deprived of what is usually a joy for us to hear during the year the warmth of the organ and other instrumental music and instead we hear these chants which are quite longer than usual and as we get toward the end of Lent we will have things even longer than that. What strikes us most, especially in our beautiful St. Mary's, is the barrenness of the Church. No more relics, flowers, carpets and our beautiful triptych is now closed until it will be open once again at the sounding of the glory at the Easter Vigil. We have, as it were, been led into the desert. And we may take note of a particular phrase which we find in today's gospel: "We, like our Lord, are led by the Spirit into the desert." Let us have no doubt of what spirit is referred to here. St. Matthew tells us that at that time Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert. By that we must surely understand he was led by his own most holy spirit, by the third person of the blessed Trinity. So we too are led by that spirit now into the desert of Lent, into our 40 days of penance. However, we are told right away in the gospel that there is another spirit present during this season, in this desert of Lent. During this 40-day desert, another spirit sadly accompanies us on our way. We are told that Jesus is led by the spirit into the desert in order to be tempted by the devil. So we too, having arrived at our 40-day fast, must be prepared to be tempted every day of our Lenten exercises. Even in this, however, our Lord has gone the way before us. This is why, and let no one ever forget it, everyone should know by heart that this first Sunday of Lent is the Sunday on which we hear of the temptation of Christ. We know that Christ has gone the way before us in suffering, in dying. Even in the midst of his suffering, having great humiliation, even falling several times as we witness in the Stations of the Cross. But we marvel that our Lord has even paved the way for us in being tempted, being tempted by the devil himself. Indeed, we learn from the Gospel that the Lord goes the way before us in being tempted not only by the devil, but even those who are in his service, that is, even by men. For, as we shall see, our temptations, and the temptations we undergo not only during Lent but throughout the year, do not necessarily come directly from the devil, but often from other people. Many times in the Gospel, our Lord is tempted by those around him. But today, as we begin the season of Lent, we are reminded that from the beginning, The temptation to abandon the way of God and pursue the exaltation of self has come from the one who first rebelled in this way, the great rebel from the first, the evil spirit known as the devil. And our Lord, in undergoing temptation now as a model for us, also shows us clearly as the fathers outline for us indeed I'm in great mood to quote you often from the fathers after hearing Bishop Schneider quote the church fathers so eloquently during these past two days we are taught that temptation has three stages and we must do our best to commit these things to memory if we wish to battle temptation well during Lent and throughout the year. In every temptation, as we have seen from the very opening chapters of Genesis, there is suggestion, delectation, and consent. Suggestion, delectation, and consent. This we see very clearly illustrated in the first temptation, when the devil spoke to Eve and proposed to her the great rebellion. This led then to a certain delectation, a response by the passion, by the appetite, within the soul of that mother of all the living. We note that in the words of the devil, he does not make any special appeal to a lower passion which would excite her to gluttony, although we are told that Eve does take delight in the steaming deliciousness of the fruit. Nevertheless, the appeal that the devil makes to her is what we hear again today when he tempts our Lord Jesus Christ that is he suggests to her that by taking of this fruit she will be able to do away with this plan which God has proposed for them for God has allowed Adam and Eve to partake of any fruit in the garden by this we understand that even the fruit of life has not been forbidden to them God has allowed them to take part in his own life, in divine life. We are allowed to share in God's divinity. The devil proposes another plan. By taking up this fruit, you may henceforth be your own God and no longer have to live off this divine plan, being thrown mere divine scraps, as it were. Eve, then, finds this fruit delightful to behold and good to eat. But most of all, we find in the soul here a delication which comes even from a higher part of the soul. That is, it is the will of Eve that responds to this suggestion. She responds, rather, to the proposal that by taking this fruit she can become her own God this we find evidence even in the response which she makes to the suggestion by the devil for she does not repel his suggestion but rather says to him No, God has told us we cannot eat that fruit. In fact, he's told us we can't even touch it. This we know not to be true. God never said any such thing to Adam and Eve. He never said, do not touch the fruit. She is simply adding on to what God said and indeed suggesting that she is already beginning to doubt the wisdom of God's commandment. After this delectation, this delight which the passions take, and they do not need to be only the lower passions, as we see they can also be the higher passions of the will, which St. Thomas, following Aristotle, calls the intellectual appetite. This delight which the soul then takes in the suggestion proceeds then, if the will does not counter it, to consent. It is the will then proceeds to action in thought, word, or deed. What do we find then in the actions of our Lord in the face of these temptations, which are in fact a reversal, an undoing of that first temptation in the garden? Our Lord like the first Adam, has his passions completely under the dominion of his reason. Our Lord, the new Adam, like the first Adam, is brought into this world without sin, with the difference that he is also truly God and thus perfectly united in one person to the divinity. Nevertheless, Like the first Adam, this suggestion of the devil is proposed to his human appetite, the lower and the higher. For we are left without any doubt that these appetites are truly present in our Lord. For we are told that after these 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, he was hungry Nevertheless, the response of our Lord is simply to repel again and again and again the suggestions which come from the tempter. This is a reminder then of what we are to do, and this is the most important lesson to take from the sermon today, what to do in the faith of temptation. First of all, we understand that here in Lent we are led by the Spirit to this time of fasting and penance. As long as it is is the Spirit who has led us where we are, we may trust that we are doing God's will. However, in many cases we must doubt whether we have been led to a place by the Spirit or are simply pursuing our own will. That is to say, we must fly the occasions of sin. We must fly away from persons or things which will lead us into temptation. And indeed, the Our Father, which always concludes with this invocation, lead us not into temptation, is recited in vain if afterwards we seek out such situations, persons, or things which will lead us into temptation. The second thing which I wish you to remember is that unlike Eve, do not, indeed never, try to talk your way out of temptation, whether it comes from the devil himself, or whether you discern that it comes from others. Never try to talk your way out of temptation. If indeed it does come from the evil spirit himself, this is often the case with movements with anger, with unclean thoughts, always, as our Lord does, always let God do the talking, that is to say, in the midst of direct temptation from the evil one, never enter into conversation with him, only utter words of prayer, as our Lord does today, utter divinely inspired words. This is indeed the response which the Church makes today to the devil. That is why the Church recites the entire 90th Psalm during Mass today. For the devil has cited this psalm, he has made a quotation of it in order to try to tempt our Lord. Say, Why do you not cast yourself from the temple? Has it not been written that God has given his angels charge over thee and they shall bear thee up? The church then responds today by quoting this entire psalm, which is the great psalm of hope meant to inspire us as we begin our spiritual combat. Let us place all of our trust, then, in these divine words, and never enter into any dealing with the great tempter. Let us always fly the occasions of sin in the face of those around us who are a source of temptation, that is, our fellow human beings. Let us have love and compassion, and nevertheless, no discussion. When it comes to things that are clearly temptation, we must turn away, although sometimes with great gentleness, and always look toward the teachings of the gospel. This is the true fast, the true prayer, and vigil, the true and unseen charity, which we are meant to have and are exhorted to have by the apostle today. Is by this means that dying to ourselves, behold, we shall yet live, and as we have nothing, having divested ourselves of all things of this world, will come to possess all things, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.